Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mekaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 374 with Stephen Worley. We had a whole lot of fun meeting up the podcast movement and chatting through some key skills that matter, which is sort of his cup of tea. And so you'll learn one, two exercises for increasing self-awareness, two, four key questions to ask yourself every single day, and three, why and how to better embrace discomfort. So if you want to take a look at the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, You'll find that one over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F374. Now here's Stephen's story. Stephen Worley has been self-employed for more than a decade, and he talks about how to build the life skills that matter for the new nature of work. Stephen helps people build self-awareness and the other key skills through his writing and coaching work over at Life Skills That Matter. Thanks to Stephen for sharing his time with us, and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. Now, here's Stephen. Stephen, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. I enjoyed meeting you at Podcast Movement. Woo! It's fun geeking out over like <laughs> work stuff, you know, because it's we all do it. It is totally, totally. And apparently you said I was a little bit more wild at Podcast Movement than I am behind the microphone. I know. You're just so uber professional <laughs> here on the mic. But let me tell you, folks, when you meet Pete, he's a guy you want to go have a beer with. Let me tell you. Well, you know, it's funny. You know, I don't feel uber professional on the mic. I mean, I think I've said some things <laughs> that are pretty zany <laughs> from time to time. But I guess I am. I really do feel a sense of, hey, what a privilege it is to be talking to such brilliant people who have something to share and what a duty I have to get the goods to show up. So I guess that does naturally bring a little bit of business likeness into the equation. But I do like I like how you just described that too. I mean, it's just showing how much you really care about what it is that you do and the effort that you put behind it and the respect that you have for your listeners, for yourself and for the people that you bring on the show. So I really appreciate that. Oh, shucks. Well, thank you. But let's start with something, Zadie. First of all, I understand <laughs> you don't like to use any kind of paper. What's this about? Um, I do use toilet paper. Oh. <laughs> I've tried a bidet. I can't do it. That's too far from That's me. the first time bidets have come up on the program. You are <laughs> cutting and edge. toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I just, I think long ago before it was kind of this movement of minimalism, I just don't like clutter. I like order. I truly believe that a cluttered physical space is a direct connection to my mind. Therefore, my mind is cluttered. One thing I always tell people to like declutter any space in your life is you got to get rid of that paper first. And it's never been easier to do it because we can automate and digitize like everything now. Now, once in a while, I will say this, I do like sending cards still because nobody does that anymore. So when you do send somebody a card in the mail, it's a big deal. They like text you about it. They call you about it. They even put it on social media. Mm -hmm. So it's not so much that you don't like writing on paper. You just hate the clutter that paper contributes into your visual field. Absolutely. I write very minimally on paper. Even when I journal, I prefer doing it on an electric note on my phone or a spreadsheet. We could talk about that. Yes, journaling and spreadsheets, it's possible. And uh, or a Word document, because it's also because of that, again, the, the, the searchability of digital versions of your thoughts and your writing um, can help you see things in a many different ways, as opposed to having it all written in a journal. Mm hmm. 
Very cool. There's people are like, I love my journal. Well, good. Journaling is a super important life skill. Keep writing, get it out of your head, no matter how or where you want to put it on a screen or on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Noted. Thank you. Well, so let's talk about, you got your company. It's called Life Skills That Matter. We like skills that matter over here. What are you all about there? Well, I am trying to help people understand that work as they know it is fundamentally changing because I think we, we all start hearing about, is automation AI going to take all of our jobs? And, you know, there's this reason even written uh, written recently, Verizon is offering their entire workforce, 44,000 employees, a buyout package, right? Uh, I just got a text from a friend who works at Red Hat and he's like, oh, they just got bought by IBM and I just got laid off. And even in a good economy, we are seeing these shifts, you know, the work in the way that we were taught by our parents or even sometimes still to this day, it's changing. And uh, we can get into how I think it's changing But I want to let people know is that you can do something about it and you can survive and thrive in this emerging new economy. Okay. So now we talked about work changing. I mean, I know we could wax, I don't know if it's poetic, but you know, we could talk about trends and the robots and artificial intelligence, but maybe could you share, you've got a ton of numbers, stats on your website, which I dig. So could you give some of the most hard hitting evidence that says, oh no, for real, it's happening now. And so here's the proof in terms of X percent of this or Y percent of that, or what is the transformation and just how fast is it coming here? The one that blows my mind, there's two that I'm going to give you. One that blows my mind was uh, from the U.S. Census Bureau. So pretty conservative, the U.S. Census Bureau. They're not going to say crazy stuff. 2013, they came out with a stat that said that as of that year, 65% of the children born in 2013 would be doing work that had not yet been invented. Let that soak in, people. That has never happened before in human history. That is how fast our economy is changing, that people born right now will be doing work that has not yet been imagined or invented. That is wild. Yeah, the Census Bureau is not a fantastical sci-fi kind of a place. No. Yeah, sort of hard demographics that they see. And 65%, that's a good, you know, just about two-thirds majority. So, And I got one more from the U.S. Census Bureau. Let's take it. Let's take it. If I can, because... Uh, again, I just, again, to that point, your point we're making, because it's like there's a lot of gravitas there, the U.S. Census Bureau, that in 2016 to 2017, single founder or solopreneur businesses, that means there is a business and there's only one person running it. Those making over $100,000 increased by about 5%. And the same is true for those making over a million dollars. Again, this has not happened before at that rate. So you're saying in one year, that number is like, like a solopreneur is what you're saying here? Like you and I, like okay. we're running our own business, right? We have no employees. Maybe you do. Well, I've got full-time contracts, so. Well, that's a little different. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. We, we have teams and we can get into all that nuance, but this is a solopreneur business. There's only that they are recognized as a single founder business. And the rate of those businesses that are making more money, over $100,000 and a million dollars is going up significantly. Again, something we haven't seen before and is increasing because of automation. A lot of times we see the downside of automation, but the upside of automation, it's never been easier to work for yourself and to make more money. Mm -hmm. Understood. Okay. Well, so that's your take is that many more people are going to find themselves in a self-employment situation at least for a portion of their careers, is one of your convictions. Yeah. Let's couch that a little bit. Okay. I'm not as 
crazy as as you might read on my website. (laughs) So here's the deal. I think we have all been educated in a system that taught us to be employees for the most part, myself included. I believe there is a much greater population of people that have the capabilities to work for themselves, but they were taught that they couldn't, that they were taught that they didn't have what it took. They were, their self-confidence to a certain extent was systematically eroded to make sure that they continue to be employees. So I'm saying to people, you might have the capability. I was that person. I never thought I'd ever work for myself. And then economic reality, getting laid off election day 2000. By, by the way, Pete, my entrepreneur birthday is coming up November 7th. I'm excited to celebrate that. I'm going to be oh, yeah. 18 in entrepreneur years. <laughs> A man. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's where I want to put out there to folks that it, this could be an option for you. You know, again, because things have changed so much in, in terms of the work that we can be doing, that we can have these single founder businesses and we have technology to help us run those businesses now. And there's just so many more infrastructure growing every day, co-working spaces and communities popping up all over the place, especially in the last 10 years to help this new growing workforce. I mean, it's estimated depending on where you look, look, but about a third of the American workforce right now is considered to be self-employed in some shape or form. And in the next decade, that is supposed to be just over 50%. So we are trending towards a majority independent workforce. And we have not necessarily on a mass scale been taught how to thrive in that. And that's what I'm trying to help people understand and, and to do. All right. And so now you've identified a number of particularly essential skills, life skills that matter, if you will, in this context that uh, I think would be great to kind of dig into a bit. And so these are helpful if you do find yourself in a self-employed situation, uh, and even if you don't. So I think you can't lose by digging into some of your deep expertise and these particular skills. So can you lay them out for us? I can. I I just want to make one other note about self-employment. Even if you are going to be uh, conventionally employed, you know, continue to be a W2 employee, you're going to function much more like a self-employed person. I call it the decision shift. Incrementally, maybe even notice this over the last five years, you're being asked to do more work or be responsible over different aspects of your work, like even telecommuting, like you're going to work from home. Where are you going to work? How are you going to organize your workday? That is also a shift. So it's almost like there's a blurring of the lines between what it means to be a freelancer, a consultant, or a full-time employed person. And that's the reality that all of us need to get ready for. And... That's a lot of these skills that I've identified. I think a lot of times first, people are like, oh my gosh, this is happening. What do I do about it? The first thing I tell people is do the work that you want to do, not do the work that you're supposed to do. And I think a lot of us haven't really understood like, what do I really want to do with my life? And the, the, the skill that I often tell people is the most important life skill to, that is going to teach you about yourself and about your potential, your possibilities, what you really want to do. It's self-awareness. And again, Pete, the most important skill in my book and not taught to us. It's kind of crazy. And that's shown up again and again, actually, in terms of high performers, you know, in mm-hmm. corporate environments, like that's one of the top things they've got going for them is self-awareness. So tell us, how do you define it? And can you paint a picture of what it looks like when you got it versus you don't? Sure. Oh, that's great. Self-awareness is the ability to observe your actions without judgment and to see the consequences of those actions to then decide, do I want to keep having those results or should I start changing some of my behaviors and habits? And let me repeat that. 
Self-awareness is not self-judgment. It's not about judging yourself. It's about looking at yourself almost like if you're hovering over yourself as a, from a third-party perspective, mm-hmm. an outer body experience. I've seen the UFOs right now. Right. <laughs> it's like, you know, somebody's watching, Pete's watching himself right now, which is very hard to do, right? It's very hard to like, because a big part of self-awareness is about getting really honest with yourself and to say, you know what, Stephen, if I continue to, if I go out every night and I'm getting this results and this is what how it's impacting my work, it's not about beating yourself up that you're doing that. It's about asking yourself, all right, I have this goal of making X amount of dollars or taking this big trip or having a family or buying a house, whatever it is. So is going out every night, or is that helping me or is it not helping me? And that's the type of kind of um, kind of observation I would want people to practice self-awareness with. So getting good at self-awareness of an ex- I have two exercises for people. One is to start bringing awareness in your day-to-day life as we all do this. Bring just self-awareness to when you just react when you just react, whether you just get super excited or you get super angry, you get super frustrated, just notice when you have an instant reaction and you didn't really think about it. Because a lot of times those instant reactions aren't very helpful, right? And they kind of cause miscommunication. So if you could start bringing awareness that you're doing it, right? And then the next step is after that is understanding what's the trigger? Where is that coming from? Why am I doing that? And those are the types of questions we want to be asking ourselves. I see this pattern of behavior in myself. Why do I keep doing it? Where does it come from? You know, it's really connecting for me right now because yeah. <laughs> I've noticed like, so for example, there's, so right near where I live, there is this graphics shop it's kind of independent. And I was pretty excited to see that it was going to start to open. You know, you see people bringing in the copy machines and building some shelves and it was looking pretty good. And I was like, oh yeah, that's going to be great. It's like, maybe I'll use that as like a sort of mailbox that I could have publicists and sort of a public address, you know, to go to, or, or maybe then that will be served as like a UPS drop-off spot. So I won't have to truck it so far or pay the pickup fee, you know, when I'm sending stuff via UPS. And so I, I sort of started to imagine how wonderful this graphic shop will be in our life. And I even said, oh, hey, when are you going to open? They're like, oh, yeah, uh, maybe next week. It's like, oh, cool. You know, so I, I got excited. Now, and that was more than a month ago. And uh, it's not open. <laughs> <laughs> and when I passed this graphics shop, like, I just, I have a reaction. I'm just angry. Not like... <laughs> Not like enraged, you know, <laughs> I don't scream or huff and puff, but I'm irritated. You know, when I was like, oh, it's still not open. What's the deal? How come it's not open? And so, and I don't care for that. You know, it's like, I don't really need that irritation in my life. And um, so why are you irritated? And I haven't quite gotten to the very bottom of it. I think part of it is at the very surface level. It's just sort of like, oh, people should live up to their word. And he told me he's going to be here next week and it's not there. But more than that, I think it's that, I think the truth is I just sort of feel kind of overwhelmed, maybe too often in terms of all the stuff. And that's partially my own doing. I get so excited by all these ideas and I just chase after them. And it's like, oops, you know, didn't set aside some time for this or that. And I view that this graphic shop is kind of like an opportunity to have that just little extra bit of time. Because I've walked to like a UPS drop-off spot like several times over the last few months. It is so I just sort of imagine like this graphic shop represents to me maybe a half hour a month that is reclaimed for me. So this is what I'm hearing from because <laughs> this, by the way, is an amazing example of self-awareness. <laughs> and I'll tell you how if, if I wasn't here, how he could get to where I'm probably going to hopefully bring him a little bit more quickly. 
this is not about that graphic shop. Oh, right, it yeah. is not, it's not <laughs> even about the drop off at UPS. What Pete is kind of now is he's get a little bit more honest with himself. He already kind of started to say, he's like, he's feeling overwhelmed and he might need to like look at all of his work activities to be like, okay, it's really not about the UPS store. Like I'm doing a lot of stuff. What do I really need to be doing here? And maybe what do I do, need to be doing less of or what can I automate? What can I delegate? And that's something, Pete, that's a whole other probably episode. People never stop to reflect once a month, once a quarter, even if you're working at your job of what are my work activities? And then saying to yourself, which one should I eliminate? Because there's stuff that we're always accumulating or people are asking us to do. And all of a sudden you're like, why am I even doing that anymore? And maybe your boss, your manager, your team says, I don't even know. Don't stop doing it. Or even you have to do that to yourself when you're working for your, on your own like Pete and I are. Number two, can I automate stuff? Because there's all kinds of tools that are pretty low cost or free that can automate a lot of what you do now. Number three, what can I delegate? Even if you're the low man or woman on the totem pole there, you're kind of way down on the, in the food chain, you can be surprised. There's lots of opportunities to delegate stuff that you really should be doing to other people. And then finally, you schedule what's left. That's the stuff that you should be really focused on doing. And you will feel such relief if you can do that. That's kind of like a very strategic self-awareness exercise that you can turn into a regular part of your work life. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and so we jumped right to some strategies associated with how does one handle overwhelm, which is great. I guess I kind of want to dig into some of the broader perspective in terms of, I love what you said that when you see a reaction mm -hmm. that's just there, then that is sort of fertile ground for digging in and gaining insight and getting somewhere. So how do we go from the place of, I'm irritated that this graphic shop hasn't opened yet to the self-awareness insight that that's really going to be helpful and transformational. Are there kind of key questions that you dig into? Absolutely. The most important and the most effective self-awareness practice that I've come across is journaling. It's writing. And now I know you hear that word, there's baggage with it. Kind of like when you say meditation, the walls go up, hear me out. There's lots of different ways to journal. Uh, you could do a free write. Some people like that. Sometimes people want prompts. Sometimes, actually, I do an Excel spreadsheet sometimes and I'm feeling really negative and, I, and I'm aware that I am. I actually kind of put all these different thoughts into a spreadsheet and I say, you know, what time of day do they occur? Who are they about? Or who was I with? Where do they occur? What was it about? What do I think the trigger might be? And then I go back a week later to look at those thoughts and you can start to see patterns and trends. And that's the true gift of having a writing habit every single day is that you get to communicate with your subconscious mind, your inner voice, because we try to think our way out of everything. We overuse our rational mind and we do not use our subconscious mind, our gut enough. And we really need to use both parts of, the, of our brain because oftentimes your subconscious knows what you really want before your conscious mind does, right? The conscious mind is kind of like the one who's like going to get the job done. The subconscious mind is your your motivation, your purpose, um, what gets you really excited. Mm -hmm. So when you're writing, I often recommend looking back after a week, after a month, to look for those patterns and trends, especially if you're somebody you're like, I want a big career change, but I have no idea what I want to do. Start journaling about it. It's a way to start communicating with that subconscious so you can start to uncover things. What it does, it allows you to see your thoughts from a different perspective, almost as if somebody else was going to give you this information. So it's kind of like you're coaching yourself. Does that make sense, Pete? Oh, yes. Thank you. All right. So that's the self-awareness side of things. And what's the next skill? By the way, I have a self, uh, a daily growth journal. Um, and this one, this will be a little segue into the next important skill that we're going to talk about. Four questions you want to ask yourself every single day, especially if you really want to make a big change in your life or you feel like you need some more focus. Number one, uh, what did I learn about myself today? 
like you know Pete might have journaled about his frustration with his graphic uh, store not opening up and what was that what would, that was all about. Number two, did I learn something new today in terms of helping me learn my work better, get better at my craft, or get better at whatever my profession might be? Number three, did I meet somebody new today? And this is something that we're going to talk about as the next most important skill. And finally, um, did I create something today? And that's a lot of things, especially when we are working in jobs, we are constantly always having to live up to other people's expectations. And we are under this unfair regime of perfectionism that you really need to start thinking about stuff in your own life. You really want to learn. You got to learn by doing, not just by listening to other people and reading. You got to see how it feels for yourself. So you got to take that imperfect action. You got to like do stuff on the side, or maybe you have a forward thinking employer that's going to allow you to get messy from time to time. But let's get back to that next most important skill. And that's outreach. And you probably have seen this quite a bit, Pete, especially on the show or the people that you work with. When do people generally think about reaching out to people? Oh, when they need something immediately. <laughs> yep, when you need something. And guess what? After you've been in your job for two, three years, maybe five years, maybe longer, and you get laid off or you quit or whatever, also you notice that the only people that you really know professionally are the people that you've been working with, and they're really not going to be that much of a help to you. Maybe a couple of them. Maybe they moved on from somewhere. So the thing that can never stop, and it's never a to-do list item, it's never part of your job search process or whatever it is that you want to do is you're always on the 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 outlook to meet new people. Even if you tend to be more introverted, it doesn't mean that you don't want to meet people. And I always tell tell folks, you never want to meet people when you need something because they can smell a mile away. You want to meet people just like you make friends. You want to be drawn to interests or topics or subjects that really light you up. And you know, I encourage you, whether you see something on social media or if you're some overhearing a conversation out and about, jump in, let them know like, why you might be excited about that or an idea that you have, because that's how you build true, genuine connection with people. And that's really the first step when, when you want to get a job or you're building a business that you want to be very clear with your values and your purpose and your mission about who you are and not, not feel bad about it. And don't feel like you have to change because you want to attract people that also share those same, that same vision, that same interest, those same values. Mm-hmm. And for these people, what are your top tips in terms of finding them and connecting with them and great ways. My unconventional advice is this. I don't believe there's a one size fits all way to reach out. I actually have a whole worksheet that I use that in, in my 30 day accelerator to help people understand how do they like to reach out to people? So the questions that you want to ask yourself, do I like to meet people online or offline more? Do I like to meet people in large groups like go to conferences or like smaller intimate groups, or like, do I like one-on-one interactions? How frequently do I like interact with people? You know, maybe it's like once or twice a week, but maybe it's like five times a day, you know? And, and even within social media, start bringing attention to like, which social media platform do you like more than others and really get better and give yourself over to that. So I think broadly speaking, that is what I would recommend to people is to actually make the best use of who you are as an individual human. Bring awareness that you already have a habit for interacting and engaging people, but just start calling yourself out. Do some journaling about how do, how you, do you do it? How can you make it better? And how can you bring awareness to make sure that you're doing it all the time? Mm-hmm. I dig it, yes. So you mentioned several different formats. Maybe you could mention some perhaps overlooked or unconventional formats because I think sometimes we think, oh, uh, mixer, uh, cocktail party, business cards, you know, networking. If we just sort of paint a picture as to what that word sparks for people, 
And you're saying, oh, no, no, hey, you got the online thing as well. And you got the small group thing. So what are some of your favorite approaches or manifestations where this comes into play? Your everyday life. I mean, don't be afraid. I do this all the time in my co-working space, in lines at grocery stores. I, I live in Boston. I could be on the T. If I overhear a conversation that is super interesting to me, I chime in and I jump right in. And I can't tell you how many times I've met people that way. And sometimes it goes nowhere. And sometimes it really could you know, lead to an opportunity where they give me another idea about somebody that I could meet. I think one of the... The unfortunate things that we do is we compartmentalize a lot of these different activities. And what I'm always telling people, the the folks that I work with is how to start integrating that just in your daily life. Like there's opportunities to meet people all the time. Just start being more open to them. Right now we're so closed off. Yesterday, I treated myself. It was Halloween after work. I went and got a beer at a local uh, coffee shop slash brewery. And I, I generally don't have a, uh, my computer or my phone, but I was actually working on a presentation. But I couldn't believe these four women sat next to me who were in their early 20s. They all got there. They all said hello to each other. And for the next 90 minutes, they just looked at their phones and their computers the entire time and didn't talk to one another. And are you sure they weren't choosing to have a productive work session inspired by shared accountability <laughs> they were wearing costumes <laughs> which made it i wanted to take a picture of it i'm like okay oh my gosh like talk to each other ah and so and not saying that, that i'm being unfair because there are plenty of other great conversations going on throughout the space but a lot of times i think we all of us even somebody's an extrovert like myself if you didn't guess, guess that already a lot of times it's like kind of that home base that safe that security blanket where you whip out your phone because nobody's talking to you right you almost feel like you go back to middle school sometimes you feel like ooh other people are talking to everybody and I'm talking to nobody so now we have a phone so we can look like we're doing something instead of picking up our head kind of not don't be creepy but you can be like listening on other things and like jump in jump into a conversation go for it i challenge you next time in the next 48 hours if you hear somebody say something that really energized you, really sparked you, or you feel like you have something to add to that conversation, jump in. You know, but I dug about what you said there is in terms of compartmentalizing. Is it, well, indeed, with Halloween, we took a precious baby Jonathan for his first trick-or-treating Ooh. experience. What did he go as? He was a, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, Michelangelo, <laughs> to be precise. <laughs> and so it was so cool just... I hadn't chatted with my neighbors much at all, you know, in the year that I've lived here. But then in the context of Halloween and trick-or-treating, suddenly that's just normal. Yes, you show up at someone's home and you talk to them for a moment and take their candy. (laughs) And they were so cool. I was like, my neighbors are awesome. (laughs) I was like, how can we never talk to each other? Or now if you call yourself out, how many times did you pass each other? But you guys were you were both so busy with your lives that you couldn't even just do, hey, how's it going? How was your day today? I hear you. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, we're in motion, but, you know, you can at least say hello. And it was wild. Like I'm in Boston. I like make it when I walk to my co-working It's about a 20 minute walk. I look people in the eye and I smile at them because people don't do it. Mm-hmm. We are so closed off from each other. So I know that sounds like really timeless advice, but be aware of that. Realize that in our our fast-paced modern life, we're losing that. We're not doing that. And that is a simple thing that you could be doing all the time to kind of be practicing your outreach muscle. So that way you're always meeting new people, building up that community, building up your network. So that way when you do need people, you have that to fall back on. You've been developing and nurturing it all along. Mm -hmm. That's good. 
And you've got another key skill about embracing discomfort. Yeah, here's the deal, folks. Um, Work is changing in such a way that it is changing faster than ever before. Remember that that U.S. Census Bureau stat about uh, babies born in 2013, how they're going to be working in something that has not yet been invented. So you're no longer going to be hired just to do something and be trained to do something to do it over and over again. A lot of times people, I don't know if you get this, people, a lot of times people ask, uh, Stephen, what skill, what skill could I learn that I can have for the next 10 years? And I'm like, there isn't any. They're gone. Done. Over. Not even coding, Stephen? I'm like, yeah, it's changing all the time. The timeless skills are these life skills that I've identified, like self-awareness, purging, you know, even letting go. We, didn't, we haven't talked about that. But also um, reaching out. But also one of them is embracing this comfort. You know, I think a lot of times we want, we want everything so secure. I think that's why a lot of us don't consider the option of having a side hustle or maybe considering other forms of work like freelance consulting or working for ourselves as a single founder because we are so afraid of losing everything, having that security lost. And I will tell you, as somebody who's worked for himself for 18 years, the idea of having all of my money come from one entity and that they can lay me off at any time or fire me, that freaks me out. That does not sound like security to me. I love having multiple income streams. And that's where I think more and more of us need to start thinking about heading. Even if you do have a primary job, you might want to have a backup plan. You might want to start playing around with something. Or if you have a job where you feel like you're not growing um, or you're not uh, or you're maybe it's, you're just not happy, but it's like decent money and this is what you got to do for the next six months or a year. Outside of work, you can start challenging yourself. You can be learning new skills. You can be doing experiments. You can be taking imperfect action. You can do messy things. It's that creation habit once again. One of those four questions that you're asking yourself. Maybe you want to learn how to cook. A lot of times it doesn't have to be a direct professional skill that you're going to figure out how to monetize. Sometimes we need to be doing other types of skills that we're not exactly sure sure um, if it's going to make us money or not, but we just enjoy them. It actually helps us learn about ourselves, reconnects with ourselves. Like I love gardening. I don't make any money off of that. But I tell you one thing, if you are a gardener, like weeding, planting, doing all that stuff, when you're working through a lot of mental stuff that I'm going through all the time because of the work that I do, it helps me process that so much more quickly. And that's that's the other thing. I mean, we humans were not designed to sit in front of a freaking screen on our butts for eight hours a day. You have to move a lot more. I see that as a future of work trend of how do we start evolving so we are moving more again and we're not just trapped in cubes. Mm -hmm. It seems like the cool theme there when it comes to that embracing discomfort is that it is sort of the meta skill or the uber skill in terms of if you get comfortable being uncomfortable, then you are more agile and ready to learn the next thing when you need to learn it. That's why I tell people, Even if you want to work and there's nothing wrong with working for somebody else, nothing. I have had a lot of great experiences. I think it's still a great way. I think looking at a job as like a paid apprenticeship, if you could look at it that way. Um, You know, there's different seasons to your career. Sometimes you might work for somebody else. Sometimes you might work on your own. But I do believe if everybody, honestly, I really mean this, Pete, if everybody could give themselves the chance of working for themselves for just one year, just one year of your entire career, that is going to teach you. I think it is the most 
elaborate, effective, intense way to really learn about yourself, your potential and your opportunities. It really gets you out of your comfort zones in lots of different ways. You'll never look at your money, your time, your energy, your connections, yourself the same way again after that year. And that's why I guide people through a 30-day accelerator to really give them that intense experience of like, what could this look like? What does it feel like even after just 30 days? And and also, this is a great study from the University of uh, California, Berkeley. It was from 1979 to, I believe, 2015 or 16. They tracked 2,500. No, I'll I'll get the exact. I I believe it was 5,000 adults. Adults that tried to work for themselves, it failed and they went back to the job market. Guess what? They earned on average 10% more in income than their peers who have the exact same characteristics, exact same skill set. The only difference is one tried to start a business and failed and one didn't. And the one that failed got rewarded. Isn't that amazing? That is fascinating. I haven't heard that one. Thank you. And the reason behind that is believed is employers feel like you're no longer just in your little silo of your skill. You have a greater understanding of the entire context of the business. So that way you can talk to many, a greater number of people within the company. And so that's going to be better for the business. And number two, it shows that you're a little bit more of a risk taker, that you want to learn, that you have curiosity, that you have initiative. You're not just going to be wait to be told what to do. And guess what? The future of work is not about sitting around waiting to be told what to do. People are going to hire you because things are changing so fast. They, they, you better be ready with some ideas. You'd be better be ready with some experiments to find an answer to a new challenge. You know, another driver I think that might be behind that 10% bump if you have a year of self-employment could just be even from the negotiating, making an offer side of things. It's, Absolutely. It's, it's kind of like they're thinking, now this is a person who is totally cool not accepting something that doesn't work for them and doing it their own way. So maybe, you know, I've had a range in my head. I'm just going to err toward the higher end of that range because I might be told no. <laughs> but again, you're, you, they've did something that was really uncomfortable. I think a, a negotiations is very uncomfortable for most people. But when you work for yourself, you really understand the value of every single minute of your day in a way that you don't as an employee. I'm, I'm serious. And I, I didn't realize it either. And the value of every single dollar. And so that way you are going to become that much more of an effective negotiator if you did go back into the job market for the reason that you decided. Awesome. Well, now let's talk about a few of your favorite things. Can you tell us a favorite quote something you find inspiring? Um, I say a mantra to myself every single morning. Everything is temporary. Hmm. And I'm sure that's some ancient Chinese wisdom, but it's very liberating hearing that. Whether something is good or something is bad, everything in your life, no matter what you're feeling right now, it's temporary and it will change. And you got to get ready for it. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? My own experiments. One reoccurring experiment that I do is I always like to take something out of my life. Like I like to stop drinking for 30 days. I like to uh, not watch television or video for 30 days or not use a social media platform for 30 days. Why I like to do this because it's just clear it's focused. It also kind of shows me like the role of that thing in my life. And sometimes I realize, whoa, for somebody who I feel like I'm not addicted to these things, there is a little bit of an addiction going on there. And I call myself out on that. But also the effect that it has on the rest of my life. When I stopped watching television for four months once, the first time I did that, I realized that I started waking up an hour earlier every day and I was much more energized. So because I started going to bed earlier and also they've done a lot of studies, you don't have all that blue light, the screens, like you really shouldn't be looking at any type of screen about an hour before you go to bed because the blue light that it projects out kind 
kind of screws with the chemicals in your brain and messes up your melatonin. So to really learn about yourself, kind of another self-awareness exercise, do some experimentation on yourself. Just try removing one thing from your life and just see the effects that it has on the rest of it. Cool. Thank you. How about a favorite book? First book I read after getting laid off, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, completely changed my mind about money. That the middle class does buy a lot of their stuff with debt. You got to stop doing that. You got to buy stuff with assets. So make your money, invest in assets and let those assets buy you your fun stuff. All right. And how about a favorite tool? My favorite tool, (laughs) people are going to laugh. And I will tell you the great thing about this tool, it's free and you can use it in every part of your business and you can use it to journal. My favorite tool, Pete, I swear, is a spreadsheet. Oh, I won't laugh. I think that's an excellent tool. (laughs) And a lot of times we overthink because there's all these tools. Stephen, how come you're not using this? You know, when I introduce technology to my life, it truly has to save me time, save me money. And I got to keep it simple and it has to be really flexible and has to have a lot of uses. I don't like having different tools to do very specific things across the board. I like a lot of integration and spreadsheets. Let me tell you, as as a tool, they are quite amazing. Oh, I'm right with you there. Do you have a favorite function? Function, what do you mean? I'm I'm thinking about like in a spreadsheet, you know, some would be an example of a function or a shortcut, anything that, some secret sauce. I I can't say that I do. I mean, I'm forever always putting little notes and everything because I think a lot of times we forget about the significance of the data that we're putting in there. So I always like to deepen it and always make sure that I put extra information in there in the notes. Mm -hmm. And how about a favorite habit? Ooh, habits. I am all about habits. People, your life is the sum of your habits. You want to make a change in your life, you got to focus on your habits. So one of my favorite habits, I actually have turned my, the first hour of my day, I call it my robot morning. The first hour of my day is nothing but habits. I don't make any decisions. I don't think I'm on autopilot. And the reason why I do this is to conserve my limited willpower energy and my, and to minimize the effects of decision fatigue. So that way, when I do start working, I still have as much of my fresh mind as possible. And I know if you have a crazy life, you have kids and, or, you know, life happens to you. I can't say that I do my robot morning every single day the, the same way. But it just gives me a lot of freedom not having to think about what do I have to do? I get up, I pee, I brush my teeth, I floss, I put on SPF moisturizer on my face. I drink an eight-ounce glass of water. I stretch. I meditate for 10 minutes. I do a little journaling, eat breakfast, get dressed, head out the door. All right. And tell me, is there a particular nugget you share that seems to connect and resonate and get quoted back to you frequently? Actually, it's possible is I know that sounds corny, but it's it's something that everybody says, like, Stephen, I come to you with all this stuff and I feel so chaotic and I leave feeling like, yeah, this is possible. Like you give me clarity. So that's something I say all the time. Mm -hmm. And if folks want to learn more, get in touch, where would you point them? First, if you really want to learn about yourself, you're in the middle of a big transition, go to lifeskillsatmatter.com slash challenge and I have a free 12-week self-assessment challenge. And if you are kind of exploring, maybe thinking about working for yourself, I would head over to lifeskillsatmatter.com slash get started to learn the first five actions to take to start working for yourself. Awesome. Well, Stephen, this has been a real treat. I wish you tons of luck in all of your adventures. And the same to you. And don't be mad at that graphic designer anymore, okay? <laughs> I won't. <laughs> Thank you, Pete. I really appreciated Stephen's point when it comes to the self-awareness about noticing when you are reacting in terms of you're not consciously thinking of stuff. It just sort of pops up. Why am I angry? Why am I at peace and delighted? Why is this filling me with joy or anxiety or whatever that thing is? And, and I think that's pretty cool because it's easy to kind of brush that off. I know I do sometimes in terms of something 
triggers a, an emotional reaction in you. And it's sort of like, huh. And maybe you don't even notice because you're already sort of deep into your, the weeds of your thought. Like, this is bull crap. You know, you're sort of already in it. Or you just kind of get busy distracted by looking at something else that's more urgent, so it seems, in the course of doing the day. But I just encourage you to make a note. Hmm, that seemed to trigger something in me. What's that about? You've got rich fodder there for some reflection that can spark some new levels of self-awareness. If you were wondering, the graphic shop still isn't open (laughs) further weeks later, but I'm not as worked up about it. And I found a couple other approaches and solutions to kind of de-stress the day or weeks in terms of the overwhelm and the responsibilities. So that's my story. If you were curious and you care about what happened with me in the graphic shop, now you know. So again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to albums we've referenced, that's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F374. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe. That way you'll hear from all of our upcoming guests, including next up, we got Oren J. Sofer back for a repeat visit He's talking about nonviolent communication and taking some of this self-awareness stuff to a whole nother level in terms of getting clear on your values and motives and your other person that you're talking to their values and motives and getting a real good exchange going. Until next time, and peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 